the story of the Bible, horrific things happen to people in cities. Cities bring out the worst of humanity. But the Bible doesn't give up on cities. In fact, cities can be a place where the best of humanity can shine. And the city that gave us a glimpse of this possibility is the city of Jerusalem, established by King David to be the home of God. Yet, even Jerusalem fails. And that leaves us wondering, what kind of city can we hope for? When the prophets, specifically Isaiah, look forward to the ultimate heaven on earth city, he uses the imagery of Jerusalem, but it's clearly transcendent of any Jerusalem that Israel ever experienced. In Isaiah 60, the prophet describes New Jerusalem as a place where the light of God shines. And members of all the nations come to the city to bear gifts. So it seems like Matthew's saying through the narrative argument that Jesus is the new Jerusalem. That whole bundle of images is wrapped together with one referent in the story, which is the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus becomes the ultimate place where heaven and earth unite, where God and humanity dwell together. But then Jesus takes this idea a step further, and he says to his followers, you all are the new Jerusalem. The claim that Matthew made about Jesus in the birth story, Jesus is now making about himself and his followers. What Jerusalem was called to be for the nations, he is claiming that he and his new blossoming kingdom of God cell groups are to the nations. Today, Tim Mackey and I discuss Jesus and the new Jerusalem. I'm John Collins, and you're listening to Bible Project Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Here we go. Hey, Tim. Oh. Hey, John. <laughs> I was having a drink of coffee. Yeah. Right there. Hi. Hey, hello. Hello, hello. Hello. Hi. It's, it's morning for us right now, and we are, what, neck deep in a series of discussions about... The city. Is that an image where like... Um, I don't know why I use that image. Like I'm in like a marshland and only my head is up above the mm. water as mm-hmm. I'm wading through? Mm-hmm. Or am I like an ostrich with my head <laughs> in the earth up to my neck? You know, the actual image in my mind was I have two little boys. They both love to swim and they're getting better. You know, they nine and 11 now. So they're like, they can swim on their own. But for many years, it was me standing right at neck level, mm. but hovering around them yeah, because they wanted to be deeper, but sometimes they couldn't make it work. And so it's awkward to be in neck deep water because you're actually kind of immobilized, Mm. but you're trying to walk on your tippy toes. (laughs) It's just an awkward scenario. So I don't, that's the image that was in my mind. Okay. We are in an awkward place because (laughs) we've been talking about the city Mm -hmm. as a theme in the Bible that God created humanity and placed them Mm. in a garden, mm-hmm. a lush garden. And it's when we left the garden mm-hmm. because of our folly and violence and mm. yeah, our nearsightedness and our grasping after wisdom on our own terms. It's outside of the garden in the wilderness, mm-hmm. afraid for our lives. I'm talking about Cain here, building the first city to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And as you trace the story of the city in the Bible, for the most part, cities become this extension of our worst intentions, yeah, magnifying our violence, yeah, and um, despite our best intentions, despite <laughs> our best intentions, yeah, yeah, and yeah, they just become this like 
cities become this almost emergent thing mm. that's like mm. multiplying our evil mm. at a community level. Mm. Or multiplying our good and bad. But also our good. Yeah. And we have talked about that, and and we kind of stopped talking about that. Yeah. It's good to remember it. Well, there's not that many stories about it. (laughs) In Kane City, they, like, started creating instruments. Yeah, and music. Music. Yeah. And metallurgy for, Mm -hmm. you know, making farming equipment. And well, Presum- presumably, presumably, maybe some, maybe some shields. There's and some battle axes. <laughs> battle axes, <laughs> helmets. Yeah. The point is, it's not a, it's not complete evil, but it's not complete good. Like humans, yeah. it's a mix of good and bad. So, like a human, a mix of good and bad. A humans together is a mix of good and bad that then gets multiplied yeah. as an extension of ourselves, which is also ourselves. The cities. Mm-hmm. There's actually this sci-fi novel called The City We've Become. Huh. It's really fascinating. Mm. It personifies mm. New York City as all these different monsters that like are an extension of the psyche of the city. Um, you're, you're Googling it. It's a uh, really popular author, Jemison, N.K. Jemison. N.K. Jemison. Yeah, 2020. It's recent. Recent, yeah. Recent sci-fi. Interesting, huh? Yeah. It's this idea of the like the city becomes, the city is us mm. becoming a monster. Mm-hmm. That's what this book is about. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I bet the prophet Isaiah would have enjoyed reading that story. Yeah, I wonder if she realizes how like biblical she was in the themes of that story. Yes. So humans' tendency towards good and bad gets magnified, and when that happens, the bad gets magnified tends to overwhelm the good. Yeah. And that the portraits of the city that we've seen right on throughout city of Cain, Babylon, Sodom and Gomorrah, Assyria, and even Jerusalem enters into that portrait. Though Jerusalem becomes a duality. Uh, Jerusalem becomes a two-sided city, so to speak, with two possible futures. There's a future that God has destined for it to become the center point from which God's peace and shalom and life flows out to all the nations, and all nations will come up into it. And here we're to the poetry of Isaiah that we talked about in the last episode. And this is this, like, almost... (sighs) pardon me, naive hope that we can like somehow have the city on the hill Mm. that will... Now, why do you call it naive? Because it... Okay. But Isaiah's hope is not that humans can create this, that this is something God's going to bring about. Yeah, but isn't that what God tried to do with Moses on Mount Sinai? (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. How did that go? Isn't this what God's spirit Mm -hmm. came out on David? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like made him yeah. king. Yeah. So, How'd that go? T- exactly. But what those stories do, remember, Hebrew Bible, it's a unified <laughs> story. What it means to read it as a follower of Messiah Jesus mm-hmm. is that all of these cycles are pointing forward to a great need for someone to come to be the human and do what no human has been able to do. And so now it's like what we need is a city that can be the city not the, only do we the, need the human, yeah. we need the city. We need the city. We need that human scaled up yeah. to a cosmic city that can be for the world what no human city has been, though there have been... Little, or we could just energies. all go just flee for the hills and just sure. live our quiet lives you know, next one thing, to a stream. One thing we haven't really talked about is kind of the, the back and forth between the city and the wilderness. Mm. 
Because it's always in the wilderness where God takes his chosen ones to test them and kind of recreate them mm. and then give them another shot at um, building the city. Building city. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is interesting being going into the city, then being exiled from the city, back in the city, exiled out of the city. These are part of the. Mm-hmm. So when the prophets, specifically Isaiah, look forward to the ultimate heaven on earth city, He uses the imagery of Jerusalem, but it's clearly transcendent of any Jerusalem that Israel ever experienced. Hmm. So we focused on the portraits of the faithful Jerusalem, then the unfaithful Jerusalem that's going to be purged and burned and recreated to become the new Jerusalem. And that's in contrast to just the fully human city that is Babylon, Hmm. that is going to be given over to cosmic ruin And be no more. And be no more. That's right. So the tale of two cities. And those two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem, both unfaithful Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem and Babylon just keep recycling through the poetry of Isaiah. We just touched down in chapters 1, 2, and 13 in the last episode. So the tale of two cities, to recap last episode, is both cities are corrupt. Mm -hmm. But one city, like this core remnant will remain a faithful mm-hmm. version of itself, mm-hmm. will come and actually become a new mountain where all the nations will then find peace. Yeah. The other city mm-hmm. will just be no more. Yep, that's right. Okay. The city that God wanted to build, that humans ruined, he's going to purify it and make it into the heavenly city on earth. Okay. But the human city that had its origins purely in the human imagination, mm. Babylon, mm. is just going to be no more. Mm. The tale of the two cities. So, as you get into the latter chapters of Isaiah, what I really want to do is us just to touch down on Isaiah 60 and then take all these themes into the opening chapters of the gospel accounts about Jesus. Okay. And what we're going to see is how Jesus describes who he is and what he's doing by announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God and starting these little Jesus communities in the towns of Galilee, he describes that whole little setup he's doing with the cosmic imagery of the heavenly city has finally touched down, Hmm. using primarily the language of Isaiah. Okay. Especially Isaiah chapter 60. Hmm. So, shall we... Yeah, let's read it. ...turn our attention. Isaiah 60 begins a three-part literary unit that we call Isaiah 60, 61, and 62. It's a little triad of poems. They're all beautifully designed and in symmetries and hyperlinks. Of course, it's the Hebrew Bible. (laughs) Uh, But 60 is the opening, opening poem of this. And it opens, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. Mm, New day. Yeah. This is the language of day one of the seven-day creation story. Light. Genesis one. Let there be light. Yeah, and it's Yahweh's light. Mm. He's the source of the light. The glory of Yahweh has risen. But somebody's being 
called upon to wake up, to get up and let Yahweh's light and glory shine on you. Hmm. So who's the you? Yeah. Right? The opening line just doesn't say. We got to keep reading. Because look, darkness covers the land, thick darkness over the nations. It's also Genesis 1. Yep. But Yahweh will rise on you, and his mm. glory will appear over you. And all the nations will come to your light and kings to the bright light of your sunrise. Hmm. You are the light, but Yahweh is the light. It kind of keeps going back and forth. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So the idea is that kind of the default or beginning state is darkness mm -hmm. over the land. Darkness covers the land. And that's just right from Genesis 1 verse 2, the pre-creation state. Yeah. And then the land is set on analogy to the nations. Mm -hmm. Darkness covers the land, thick darkness covers the peoples. Mm -hmm. But then there's Yahweh's going to say, let there be light. Mm -hmm. And his own glory well, will, is that light. will be that light. But then that light will become focused on a you. Yeah. And shine upon a you. And then the you will become a beacon. Right, a reflection of that light. Yeah, out to the nations. So so much so that the nations are all going to come hmm. to the light. Mm -hmm. So this is fully hyperlinked back to the poem in chapter, Isaiah chapter 2 that we read and reflected on in the previous episode. Mm. <laughs> yes. Which, just to recall, began saying that in the end of days, the mountain of the house of Yahweh, that's eventually called Zion and Jerusalem, it will be exalted as the tallest mountain, and all the nations will river, like a river, but going uphill, <laughs> stream into it, and Yahweh will render justice between them all, and there'll be peace forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. And then the prophet says, so come, in light of that hope, mm. Israel, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. Mm. <laughs> So now Israel needs to walk in the light. So the light here is God's glory, mm -hmm. but it's also kind of like the way of Yahweh. Like yeah. it's yeah. his Torah it's is a, also the light in yeah. a way. You walk in the light. It's his wisdom. Yeah. So, okay, sorry, detour. Mm -hmm. Genesis 1-1 or mm. Genesis 1, whatever, 3. Let there be light. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, there's always been this, what is the light? Right, because the sun isn't created the sun, until yeah, yeah, day yep, on day four, four, yeah, as a symbol, yeah, a reflection in yeah. a way or a, of a manifestation light. of yeah. of the greater light. Yes. Let there be light. Yeah, we've talked about that before. You've kind of said, you know, in some ways, it's talking about it's ordering time, or, you know, mm, but mm. here the imagery really feels like it's about it's Yahweh. It's about yeah. Well, how does Yahweh say, "Let there be me"? It's not what he means. No, no, no. Oh, no. Let there be light, but the light in here, the darkness. The light, yeah. So the light is Yahweh's glory and wisdom. Yep. So it's like, let my glory and wisdom invade yeah. the darkness. Invade the darkness. That's day one. That's day one. Okay. That's exactly That's right. cool. Yeah. In other words, it's meta. <laughs> it's a, it's a, using the imagery of light and dark yes. to describe... It's poetic. Something else. Non-existence, non-being, mm. disorder, chaos... And then... Let me inject it with being and... Existence. Existence and... Order. And the, and the grain of the universe. Wisdom. Like how yeah. things yeah. operate. 
what maybe like, you know, cosmologists would call just like the grand unifying theory or something, you know, it's like, yeah. well, how do things work and why? Yeah, that's right. But like, we're not talking scientifically, we're talking Mm-mm. metaphysically. That's exactly We're right. talking about like, yeah. what is the grain of, yeah. of the universe? What is good and bad? What, how does this all work? Yeah. Yep. This represents the thought of ancient poets and philosophers and theologians, the biblical authors. And they're talking about the stuff that's universal to human questions about the nature of reality. And there is a state of order that represents a mind and a purpose that brings order and reality. Mm. And we have our own human versions of that. Mm. We build stuff that we purpose. And on analogy, there is this great cosmic order that we're all a part of. But if you notice, it tends to all just fall apart. Yeah. Unless you constantly bring new wisdom and purpose and order to it. Mm-hmm. And that intuition is filled out on a yeah, metaphysical, cosmic level. That there's this default of the darkness. And Yahweh is the originator of all beauty, order, light, goodness. Mm-hmm. And any light or goodness or order that we bring is because Yahweh has already shined his light on us. In mm-hmm. Psalm 36, by your light, mm-hmm. O God, we see light. Yeah. And that's the image here. It's profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here, Yahweh is lending his glorious light to a you. And that you is lit up in the midst of the darkness so yeah. that all the nations want to come to be in the light. Yeah. And so God's new creation sunrise is also... This use, it becomes part of this you. Yeah. Yep. This yep. person, whoever we're talking about, yeah. is their sunrise. Yeah. So let's keep shining reading. Like Figure them. out who the you okay. is. All right. So you lift up your eyes all around and see. All of them are gathering. They're coming to you. Your sons are coming from afar. Your daughters are being looked after, carried on the hip. Hmm. So it's the idea of your children are returning to you. Okay. Your lost children, wow. Adam and Eve's lost children, mm. Jacob's lost children. Mm. Remember when he lost Benjamin, he lost Joseph mm. to Egypt. Will I ever see them again? Mm. So it's using the imagery of children. Noah's lost children. Noah's, yeah. Parents losing their children to tragic circumstances. That It's all, everybody's coming home. Mm. Now we knew that the nations were going to come. But the children are the nations. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't like, this is the universal family of humanity. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, the, well, we'll see who the you is. It's kind of it's specific because there is a specific you that has been exiled here that is Israel. Okay. I've been, I've been assuming this you yeah. is Israel. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so your, your children are being carried back. Then you will see, then you will be radiant. You'll start glowing. Mm-hmm. When you, see, you already are in this poem, but yeah, you're going right. to glow yeah. even more. Your heart will tremble and open itself wide. <sighs> Your heart will become wide. What does that mean? Cool image. No, it's kind of <clears throat> scary. Well, it's not open heart. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, something that you have hoped for. I like think of like the tragedy of a loss of someone you love. That kind of wounding or traumatic experience. I think fairly commonly closes off mm. humans, mm. right? We close ourselves mm. to the world, right? We close ourselves to relationships because <laughs> it's risk. But when you see 
the thing you never thought would ever happen, the restoration of a relationship or the person you thought was dead, but they're actually alive and they want to see you and they're coming. It's like your heart can open again. Is this also perhaps a metaphor of the heart is the city gates? Oh, uh, yes. There's v- yes. The metaphor of opening up is going to be a- connected to the open gates in a moment. City and gates. trembling, if the gates are trembling, that's like an invading army. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you open the gates, that's like yeah. inviting them in. Yeah, but here it's like the thing you never thought, the reunion with mm. the person you love that you never thought you'd hold again in yeah. your arms. This is not the army. This is the family of God. Come Tr- Trembling is a good way to describe, I mm. think, how many intensity people's of it. bodies respond. And isn't it interesting that that's also the response we have when we're terrified? Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Isaiah 60, verse 5. There's a lot to meditate mm. on there. Why will you be shining with your heart open wide? The abundance of the sea will fall upon you. (laughs) The wealth of nations will come to you. Mm. Oh, this is great. Notice how the waters are set on parallelism to the nations. Mm. Mm -hmm. So it's like the sea washing up over you Mm -hmm. is set on analogy to all of the nations bringing their abundance and honor to you. Mm-hmm. So the backstory presumed here is Jerusalem was stomped on by Assyria, barely rescued in the days of Hezekiah. That story is told in Isaiah. And then stomped on by Babylon and not rescued. Yeah. And all of its wealth plundered. Mm. So this is the great inversion. Okay. All the wealth that the nations took from you will wash over you like, like waves. A multitude of camels is coming. Think like a... Caravan. This is the caravan. freight trains of <laughs> yes. the ancient world. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Camels of Midian and Ephah from Sheva. These are all the eastern desert tribes mm. for Israel. Mm-hmm. They will bring gold and frankincense, mm. proclaiming the praise of Yahweh. The flocks of Kedar. These are all east, again, eastern tribes. Ooh, these are also all tribes that were estranged from Israel throughout the story of the Hebrew Bible. Hmm. Verse 11, your gates will continually be open. Like your heart. Day and night, never shut, to bring you the wealth of nations, the kings shall be led. Mm -hmm. And the children of those who oppressed you, they will come bending low. And those who disrespected you will bow down at the soles of your feet. They will call you the city of Yahweh, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. And the sun will no longer be your light hmm. by day, and the moon will not give you light at night. Yahweh will be your eternal light, and Yahweh your glory. The sun will not go down, the moon won't wane. Yahweh himself will be your eternal light. So, the eternal... This is a very poetic. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously... Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine... Yeah. Like a day where like the sun is yeah. no longer the source of light. Yeah. But it's still around and then never sets. hmm Yeah. That sounds like a new creation. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a, uh, a different type of creation. Different type of creation. Yeah. Isaiah 65 verse 17. Look, I'm about to create a new skies... And a new land. Hmm. The former things won't be remembered. They won't come to mind. But rejoice and shout, 
over what I am about to create. I am about to create Jerusalem hmm. as a source of joy, her people as a source of rejoicing. And it goes on to talk about how in the new Jerusalem, nobody's crying, mm-hmm. nobody's dying at a young age, mm-hmm. everybody gets to plant their own garden and eat the fruit. The wolf and the lamb will feed like they are one. Hmm. The lion will eat straw like an ox. Vegan. Vegan lions. Vegan lions. And the serpent's food will be dust. No more evil. No more destruction on my holy mountain. Hmm. That snake is dead in the dust. Hmm. So You see the Eden imagery yeah. here. Yeah. So notice a new creation is set on in parallelism to a new Jerusalem. Mm. And you're like, well, that's pretty cosmic. <laughs> now, these are the passages that the source of the hope that becomes in the New Testament, which we'll talk about in our last conversation, about what Paul will call the Jerusalem above, mm. or the heavenly Jerusalem, that Jerusalem in its ideal state really is, becomes equivalent with a new creation. Yeah, because, you know, if God's saying, I'm going to recreate heaven and earth, new new heavens and new earth, Mm -hmm. then you would imagine a new garden. Right. That's where we're going to go. Yeah. Because we had the first garden. Let's Mm -hmm. have a new garden. Mm -hmm. But instead, the imagery is about a new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. A new city. That is described as a garden. It's full full of people who don't die. It's full of people who have enough gardens to eat the fruit. All the animals live at peace with each other and with you, and that snake is just dead in the dust. Okay, so remember when I kept talking about, like, what if, you know, what if Adam and Eve stayed in the garden? Mm -hmm. Thought experiment. Mm -hmm. They would need places to live. They would need to build some infrastructure. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is describing that. Yeah, that's right. Like everyone's going to have their little house. Everyone's going to have their little vineyard. Yeah. And everyone's going to be able to hang out with all the animals. There's not going to be evil. Like it's describing what the Garden of Eden could have become. Yeah, it's the Garden City. But it's it's a city. That's right. So So, what what began as the Garden. That was my intuition was like, hey, if they're going to hang out in there, they're going to create a city there. I see. Yeah, yeah. But remember, city in the Hebrew Bible, means a walled, a cities of dwellings enclosed by walls. And here, very clearly, the wall doesn't have gates that are closed. The walls have been decommissioned. Decommissioned. Yeah, because the gates are always open. Okay. Yeah, that's the idea. So you're But like, it's still a city. It's still a city, that's right. So what God began with was the garden. What humans made was the city. When God restores and fulfills and redeems the whole mess, all the cycles, what you end up with is not just a new garden and not just a new city. It's the garden city. It's the, the full... God's the new category of city. God's incorporated what humans... Intent, this is what Joseph says to his brother. What you guys planned for evil, Yahweh is able to weave that into a plan for good. So it seems really important for you to say, look, when I say, hey, we would have built a city, you say, well, you know, remember in the Bible, a city is mm. a place with a wall. Mm-hmm. So it seems important to you to say, there needs to be a reimagining of what a city is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because cities can provide good. Yes. The city can be our mother. Yeah. The city can be an extension of ourselves that protect 
us and those who are vulnerable Mm -hmm. and brings peace and prosperity. Mm -hmm. Like a city can do, and create culture and music and Mm -hmm. art and, you know, like can do all these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the category that we start with is, oh no, this needs to be a place with a wall to keep the others out, Mm. keep us safe, Mm. and we'll make ourselves great. We'll make our name great. We will build a tower to the sky. <laughs> like that's the category of city that we start with. Mm-hmm. And when I'm saying, hey, imagine Adam and Eve and generations after staying in the garden, they're going to build not that type of city, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But they're going to build what we would call yeah, a sure. city. Yeah, that's right. A community, a town. Uh... <laughs> Why don't you want to call it a city? Oh, I'm happy to call it a city. Are you? Uh, yeah. I just, the point... Of the city to retrain our imaginations is walls. Okay. A city is a series, a bunch of dwellings encircled by a wall for But here in Isaiah 65, it's still called Jerusalem. It's still a city. It's just. And it still has walls. And it says decommissioned walls. Decommissioned walls. walls. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So the prophets are reimagining the city. They are. Yeah, that's right. Yes, they are. Um, Okay. But they're still using the category of city. Okay. Here's an analogy. Remember in the laws of the Torah about the king that mm. Israel was to yeah, appoint. Right. So God is, he'll, if they want a king, yeah. okay, we'll do kings here. <laughs> but the kings is to not amass an army, not amass money, and not do political marriages, which is everything it's that- like a backwards king. Totally. So it's sort of like- Or perhaps a forwards king. It's a king. Yeah, right. It's like that. So, okay, you guys, you humans, you just can't, you just want cities. Okay. All right. Let's- yeah, but isn't a city different? Like a city, like I, like we've been talking about, is a natural mm. just extension of what it means when a lot of humans are living together. Yeah, you can't but help. Sure. To say, hey, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna sleep over here, and here's my little vineyard and mm-hmm. my family's vineyard, mm-hmm. and there's yours. Hey, but we also need to get to each other. Mm-hmm. So here's a little roadway. Mm-hmm. And hey, when we like have a surplus, let's put it all in this other place. Okay, here's some like yeah some places to put that. And yeah. When yeah. someone needs it, they could come and take it from here. Cool. Let's have a system for that. And like you're building mm-hmm. what we would call a city. That's right. But not yet. You're not done yet. Because then it's the, but that group of people 30 miles away, man. They're they, in trouble. They hate us. <laughs> and they're constantly stealing our stuff. So now we got to build a wall. And you're saying that's inherent to a city. The word ir, the Hebrew word ir, means a walled enclosure of dwellings. Okay, but... And here I, in, Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, does it use the word city or just Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem? Uh, um, uh, but the whole, it's a city. It's a city. And, and it's it, an eater. And it says it has walls. And it has walls, just, but they're decommissioned. Exactly. That's right. So it's the decommissioning of the walls in the new city. Mm. I'm just trying to honor that emphasis yeah, that yeah, yeah. what you're saying is absolutely true, but it wouldn't be You don't have to decommission called... walls if you never built them in the first place. <laughs> and you'll still have a city. Yeah. Yeah, by our definition of city. But not by the Bible's definition of a city. Well, not by the definition of city that the biblical authors took for granted, which is what the Hebrew word means, which is a wall. <laughs> a walled enclosure. Yeah. Okay. So I, it's really just about what the wall represents, um, why you need it, and the fact that the garden city is the city, you know, with decommissioned walls. And that's that's all. That's the twist okay. that I'm right. focusing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which maybe doesn't ring home for us. Because we didn't grow up in a city with walls, and m- most people don't now. Yeah. But that would have been a fundamental significance to mm. the people who wrote and first read these texts. Okay. So, let's hold all that in mind. That's the Isaiah hope. 
of the new Jerusalem. And you're like, I, I just think Yahweh just said he's going to create that new creation yeah. and new Jerusalem mm-hmm. and recreate that new Eden. And I'm pretty skeptical, having read up to Isaiah, of humans' ability to create that on their own. Yeah. They can try. They can get a little taste. But inevitably, it's going to go the way of Babylon. So this hope, and particularly this language and imagery found in the Isaiah scroll, was fundamental to how Jesus came onto the scene, described himself, talked about what he was doing, though he didn't primarily use the language of city and founding a new city. Hmm. What he said was that he was announcing and ushering in the arrival of God's rule and reign. His kingdom. His kingdom. Yeah. The kingdom of God. So what I want to turn now is about how Jesus and the gospel authors use this hope for the new Jerusalem, new creation, new heaven and earth Jerusalem as inspiration to describe the significance of who Jesus was and what he was doing. Where I want to begin is with the famous story that uh, actually it was just in the process of preparing for these conversations that a whole new thing struck me Mm. in the story. Mm. So I want to explore it with you. Okay. This is um, in Matthew chapter 2. So this is not, this is Jesus, this is right after he was born in the end of chapter 1. And in Matthew, it's Luke's account that has the shepherd, Mm -hmm. the shepherds that come. And it's Matthew's account that has what, what are called the, the Magi. Yeah, the people from the East. The wise men. Yeah. Okay. And what's interesting is, you know, the Magi, it's late. Jesus has already been born and some time has passed. Mm-hmm. This is why in the Christian calendar, Epiphany is 12 days after Christmas, hmm. which is celebrating the oh. arrival of the kings. But on our Christmas cards, it's all been mashed into, into one <laughs> one moment one holy night one nativity set <laughs> yeah yeah but in matthew chapter two so he's describing the significance of the birth of the messiah and uh, he begins the story this way now after jesus was born in bethlehem of judea judea is the greek pronunciation of judah in the old testament in the days of herod the king magi from the east arrived in jerusalem I I will say when we read Isaiah sixty, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, the Magi from the east." Yeah, I like bet. The, I bet you did. The brothers from the east coming, yeah, yeah. bringing their frankincense and yeah. gold. Now, just because the New American Standard gives us a little footnote, because what's Magi? Like, yeah, that's not a word I ever use. Yeah, their footnote is like a full little explanation: a cast of wise men specializing in astronomy, astrology, and natural science. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so these were the Renaissance men. Yeah. There's another guy called by this same related title in the book of Acts, Simon Magus, or the magician. Hmm. And it's not a compliment in the book of Acts. Oh, yeah. He's in touch with powers of evil. 
But it's somebody who is in touch with the divine in some way, most likely through... But through what we would call physical sciences. Yeah, well, astrology, what we call astronomy. Yeah. (laughs) Following the patterns of the stars. Right. And then viewing that as communication from the gods. Mm. Or other types of divination. Yeah, so taking what we would call physical sciences, but then embedding it with divine meaning. That's right. So these types of figures were often counselors or advisors to kings, Mm -hmm. but they were not themselves kings. Yeah. This is why Herod, the king, wants to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Because that's their job. And it doesn't say there's three. It just says plural. Okay. So you're saying the whole we three kings of Orient are... Yeah, this later... That's just kind of a... Tweaking the tradition. Okay. What we know is a crew of ancient sorcerer astrologers who consult with kings show up in in Jerusalem. From the east, meaning from Assyria, Babylon, like where those places are. Mesopotamia. Yeah, Mesopotamia. Totally. Saying, where is uh, the king of the Jews that has been born? Hmm. Oh, king of the Jews? (laughs) (laughs) Right? He's like, uh, you're looking at him? We saw his star in the east. And we have come to worship, and we cannot forget in the Greek New Testament, the verb worship, proskuneo, is the word for to bow down and kneel before. So worship is kind of a paraphrase, Hmm. because you can bow down and kneel for all kinds of reasons. Uh, But to Uh, give your allegiance, mm -hmm. that's worship. That's often what you're doing, but you can proskuneo for other things too. So we have come to bow down to him. Hmm. Herod heard this and... He was troubled. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) makes sense. Yeah, and all Jerusalem with him. So he gathered together the chief priests and the scribes, and he inquired, like, okay, so let's go back to the Hebrew scriptures again. Where is the, you know, Messiah from the line of David to be born? And they're all, dude, just go read Micah. It's a new David. It's going to be a Bethlehem. This is all my paraphrase here. Yeah. didn't actually say dude. So Herod secretly called the Magi, and he determined from the the exact time they saw the star. Mm -hmm. And he said, go to Bethlehem and search for the child. And when you find him, come tell me, because I want to bow down to him as well. So they heard the king. They went their way. Sure you do, Herod. (laughs) The star, which they saw in the east, went on. So you've got this light, this heavenly light that has appeared, and it's guiding them. Right? To Jerusalem. The light shines in the darkness, guiding them Hmm. to Jerusalem. Okay. And then it guides them. Look at the language. It went on before them and it stood over the place where the child was. Hmm. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced very much with great joy. (laughs) And after coming into the house, they saw the child, Mary his mother, They fell down on the ground, they bowed down, they opened up their treasures, bringing him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So in Isaiah 60, the light is a cosmic sunrise. The light is Yahweh. The light is Yahweh. Yeah. As a sunrise. Yep, that's right. Of new creation. Yeah. And here in Matthew 2, the light is a star. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty diminished Hmm. light. Right, I guess it depends on your point of view. It's diminished in terms of... The, a sunrise it, it, sure. compared to like... Compared the, to the sun. The yeah. sun. Yeah, that's right. But you're saying here it's riffing on this idea of the light has come? So Isaiah 60, Yahweh's glory will shine over you 
and nations, specifically kings, yeah. will come to the bright light of your sunrise. Okay, so it's not a sunrise. It's not a sunrise. It's a star. Yeah. But heavenly lights, mm. in the logic of the Genesis 1 story, Yahweh is the source of all light. Mm-hmm. And then the Yahweh, sun and stars are an extension. Yeah, he appoints them as delegates, mm. symbols mm. of his own light. So the light of a star mm. is an image of Yahweh's light. Mm. That's the logic. Okay. So Isaiah 60 was all about kings and yeah. rulers, nations coming, bringing gifts. Is this why we call them kings? Yes. Oh. Yeah. So what's so cool is that in Christian tradition, oh. the Isaiah 60 hyperlinks have been so strong mm. that they've actually changed the identity. Of the Magi. Yeah. So in other words, on a Christmas card or nativities are a combination of Isaiah 60 and oh. Matthew 2 into, into one. Isn't that cool? Mm, that's cool. So in a way, it's kind of cool to portray them as kings. Yeah. You're doing biblical theology. You're doing biblical theology. So Isaiah 60 has the gold and frankincense. They're bowing down. The nations are rejoicing. Yeah. So notice what's significant here is that the star first goes over Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? The star leads them to Jerusalem. Mm. And... Only after talking with the current ruler of Jerusalem, then the star moves. Mm. It leaves Jerusalem, and then it shines over the child. Mm. And I think that's a really important move on Matthew's part. Mm. And I think he's tracking with something in the book of Isaiah. This is the new insight you're having? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what is it? Yeah. What's the city? Jerusalem. Who, 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 what is, what's the city of God? It's Jerusalem. So... <laughs> Matthew chapter 2. I just want to notice how Matthew has portrayed Jesus as the one over whom Yahweh's light shines, Mm. as the one to whom the nations come bowing down and bringing their gifts. Mm. In Isaiah's poem, it was the Zion, the city of Yahweh. Mm. In Matthew 2, the light moves away from Jerusalem that's ruled by... So the place you're like imagining, like the star would go, yep, Jerusalem, that makes sense. Yep. And all of a sudden it moves you. Where are you going? Yeah. Star. Yeah, totally. Okay. What? You're going to Bethlehem? You're going over this house hmm. with a baby? This and... is the mountain. This is the... Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like Matthew's saying through the narrative argument and the hyperlinks that Jesus is the new Jerusalem. Jesus is the new Jerusalem. Now, in what sense can one person be a city? It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. Let's just sit with it. Okay. I just want to notice a couple other things. In Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus has been baptized mm-hmm. and fulfilled his testing in the wilderness, in verse 12 we read, Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he went back up into Galilee and That's in the region where he's from. And then leaving Nazareth, which was his town, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. You know, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Yeah, you know those places. (laughs) So these are sons of Jacob, tribal inheritance areas from Israel's past. Okay. Why did he go there? In order so that what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet could be fulfilled. What did he say? And now begin. Now he's quoting block Isaiah quote 16. From Isaiah chapter 9. Oh, chapter 9? Yeah. Saying, quote, Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, toward the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the, the nations, 
The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light, and the ones who sit in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. End quote. Matthew picks up. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and mm-hmm. to say, repent, mm-hmm. because the kingdom of the skies has come near. Mm-hmm. Okay. I could summarize, but I want you to, I want to hear what, <laughs> you're, what you're processing. Well, we didn't read Isaiah 9, mm-hmm. but this is a quote from it. A great light is coming. Mm-hmm. If I'm also just thinking in context of Isaiah 60, the great light is the new creation light. Yep. That's um, right. Shining in the darkness. Shining in the darkness. Yep. And so... Isaiah 9 is yet another poem in Isaiah that is working those themes. Okay. Yep. So for Jesus to go to this region and that Matthew is pointing out, this is a fulfillment of that prophetic hope mm-hmm. that the light is coming. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is the light. Mm-hmm. Jesus announcing the kingdom of the skies coming near is the light appearing. Is the divine light shining in the darkness. Yeah. And I know from Isaiah 60 that <laughs> that light is shining over the new Jerusalem. Yeah. But he's not in Jerusalem here. Well, but yeah, the light will shine in Jerusalem, but as the capital of all the land. Yeah, exactly. So once again, Matthew's taking the imagery from Isaiah that's associated with the city mm-hmm. of the new Jerusalem. Yeah. And he's applying it to the person. Yeah. What Jesus is doing. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's remarkable. He went throughout Galilee. Well, it's remarkable, but also, sorry, um, there is the thread of that there's going to be an anointed one. Yes. That's who right. will come and. Yeah. What passage was that? Well, he wasn't called the anointed one, but there was the banner. We looked oh, at like the banner Isaiah. is the That's king right. to come. King from the line of David will rule in the new Jerusalem. Yeah. That's right. So in a way, you were just saying, here's the mm-hmm. king from the line of David who's going to come and rule in the new Jerusalem and bring, right. and bring God's light. Yeah. Just a remarkable claim. What's interesting is the king theme in Isaiah, it's one set of images. He'll rule in the city, but the city is associated with the light. Mm-hmm. The light shines on the city. Yeah. The city's exalted. The nations come to the city. And that's yeah. where the king is reigning but they're coming to the city hmm. and they come in the gates. They yeah. never close. Right. And now that whole bundle of images is wrapped together with one referent in this story, yeah. which is the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Yeah. Right after that, Jesus goes around and he's announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. He's healing everybody. And this is the end of Matthew chapter four. And now large crowds are following him from all over. Chapter 5, when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples approached him, and we just read the first sentence of the Sermon on the Mount. Right. The opening of and the Sermon on gonna, the Mount. And then we're going to, and here in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to get a very clear connection to the city. You got it. That's where we're going. Yeah. So he's going to announce nine blessings over this ragtag, mostly poor group of people that's come to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessed are the unimportant, the meek. Mm. They will inherit the land. Mm. Blessed are the peacemakers, and so on, right? Yeah. The nine blessings. Then he uses three images, and he's describing the people right there. Mm. You all are the blessed ones, and you are watching the kingdom of the skies appear here on earth, right here. It's mm. happening right here. Mm. And then he describes the people that he's going to call to be part of his kingdom of God crew by three images. He calls them the salt of the land. You all are the salt of the land. But if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It's useless except to be thrown out. So you're the salt, but salt's only useful if it's flavorful. That's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, seriously. We don't have time to go down. But he calls them the salt of the land. Okay. Then he says, you are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. A city that's on a hill is not able to be hidden. And people don't light candles and put them under baskets. No, no. You put them up on a candle stand to give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see your good works and give honor to your Father who is in heaven. Yeah. He calls him the salt, the light, and the city. Yeah. And... mm -hmm. So here, he is taking the imagery of the light uh-huh. and now applying it to these, what, kind of blossoming yeah. communities. Yeah, I mean, in Isaiah 60, he had this beautiful image of God's light rising up and then reflecting off of people. Yeah. And that reflection from those people becomes the extension of God's glory and wisdom mm. that brings peace mm-hmm. to the nations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus says, you're the light, yes, he's got that image in mind. Yes. Yeah. Which is certainly why the light and the city images are bound together in mm. his saying. Because you're, you're up on the hill. Yeah. This is the, like Isaiah 65, was it? Where it was like new creation, yeah. new Jerusalem. That's right. That's right. Arise, shine. The glory of Yahweh is risen upon you, the nations will come to your light, mm-hmm. and so on. So what Jesus... But he's, oh, go ahead. But he's talking to... A, yeah. He's not talking to the people who run Jerusalem. Yeah, in fact, we are just told he left the Jerusalem area <laughs> to go up into the hills. Yeah, he's out in the hills. Yes. He's out with people who are no way in any position to rule the city. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that this hope of a new city... Mm-hmm. That will the nations will stream up to, mm-hmm. like, you guys are that. Yeah, this starts today. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. So, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of silly. The, the claim that Matthew made about Jesus yeah. in the birth story, mm. Jesus is now making about himself and his followers. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is a bold, bold claim. Mm. But that is the claim that he's making. What Jerusalem was called to be for the nations, he is claiming that he and his new blossoming kingdom of God cell groups (laughs) up in Galilee are to the nations. Okay. And so, you know, we have to wrap this conversation up, but we'll continue Mm -hmm. talking about Jesus and the city. But I think here, this is a big twist Mm -hmm. because we've been talking about like actually like just running cities. cities. Yeah, totally. And now Jesus is going, you know that hope we have of like that desire for yeah. the city where we build something that's bigger than ourselves that we can, can protect us and bring abundance. Mm-hmm. And then the best of it, the like 
cosmic righteous version of it will bring peace to all the nations. Mm -hmm. Like, stop thinking of it in terms of an actual an city. actual city that we're gonna. You think you're gonna build? Yeah. So how are we supposed to think of it? <laughs> Man, I wish we had a really compact presentation of the teachings of Jesus that would show what it would be like to live in a community together as if we are the, the city on <laughs> the hill. You're being snarky. <laughs> yeah, totally. You're being snarky. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. Which has just started. Which is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, of which this is the introduction, is the manifesto. Of the way of that mm -hmm. community, mm -hmm. which is a city, mm -hmm. but is not a city. Mm -mm. No, not in a, not the way humans typically think of what cities function. But what is it? It's a it's a family. It's a community. Communities. It's a... Yeah. What do you say? It's a a fictive kinship group. <laughs> it's a group of people who are not family. Mm, acting like family. Act like family. But they live in cities and around cities. Living in and amongst the cities as a little microcosmos. Who are more the city than the actual city. Well, they are an alternative city. An alternative city. That lives by the ethic and follows the moral compass of a different way of being I don't human. think alternative city gives enough punch. I mean, if we're talking, if we've been building up to what is this new oh, I see. creation city. Okay. Well, and my imagination is like, is this going to be this grand, ah, yeah. this grand, you know, the palaces and mm. the libraries and the canals and the like <laughs> architecture and just the, it's, yeah. it's going to be this yeah. city. Yeah. And then Jesus is like, actually, mm. it's just you guys. To you guys. And how we relate to each other. Yeah. Like, that's the city. Yep. Can we also build the palace? You know, like, or whatever, you know, like. Yeah, sure. Can I build the He's like, okay, but um, that thing you said to your brother yesterday <laughs> and that husband and wife that just refused to get along and work out their conflicts over finances and, you know, that guy who just won't deal with uh, his own issues of sexual desire. And it's ruining all his relationships, and, right? And yeah. He's like, he's let's, into the... let's let's work on that. Just mm -hmm. how we relate to each other, to create a web of other-centered love and mutual support that goes over all the boundary lines of male and female. You know what I mean? Like all that stuff, Jew and Greek, and uh, and when you do that, when you do that, then your light is shining. You're the yeah. in the way that we were hoping that the New Jerusalem light would shine would become. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, we're trying to get it. There's some story driving Jesus that would lead him not just to talk this way, but then also to do the things that he did. And stage one was to start these cell communities that lived by the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount, which is informed by the Torah and the prophets. Mm -hmm. But with all the focus on him as the focal point and the conduit of this new way of being human. You were the city. You were the light. You were the city because centered around Jesus, who is the light in the city. Or I guess he's the city over which the light shines. So you're thinking about cities wrong. <laughs> oh, interesting. Is that kind ah, of what we're ah, talking about here? So, okay. This is my thing from earlier. So the city is defined by the wall okay. in the Hebrew Bible. Sure. The wall is for self-preservation, yeah. protection. Uh-huh. And what is the Sermon on the Mount except a manifesto on how to live without that wall? Hmm. It feels foolish to forgive and love your enemies. Yeah. <laughs> Not having a wall is foolish. Yes. People will take your stuff. 
Good fences make good neighbors. And Jesus says, yeah, give them your, give them your coat too. Hmm. People will slap you and you could turn the other cheek. And But as you do so, you will start to create an alternate culture where perhaps that enemy could become a friend. Yeah, that's the image. Okay, well, we're trying to pull a lot of meaning out of just one instance of <laughs> Jesus using the metaphor of a city for this group. Yes, but it's not just you were the light, you were the city. Like you, there's not, for a Bible nerd like Jesus, there's only you one. You are Isaiah 60, yes. come to earth. There you go. Right after Matthew just said, Jesus is the new Jerusalem, <laughs> born in Bethlehem. So, if I was tracing this theme for the purpose of trying to be a city planner (laughs) or a mayor, (laughs) right? Yeah. And I'm like, what does the Bible have to say about cities? Mm. And there's going to be a city, there could be a city where God's light can shine, there could be peace. Then you get to this and you're like, oh man, what Jesus seems to really care about is not about what kind of streets or transportation or what kind of, what we would think of typically as mm. kind of city infrastructure. Mm. Mm. He's talking about just how do, how do we relate to each other mm. day to day mm. when we're wronged by each other, mm. when we are tempted by our own evil, mm-hmm. like what do we do? Mm. How does God's light shine mm. through us? Mm-hmm. And it becomes this more, like ethical, like almost like it doesn't matter where you're living. It doesn't matter if you're in a city mm-hmm. or in a suburb or in a town or mm-hmm. in a, mm-hmm. like in a small, just yeah. Yeah, sure. Amish community in the middle of nowhere. But remember this, this issue of scale with the city. The city is just a human scaled up to lots of humans. Mm-hmm. So uh, one human doesn't need like a transit system. You just need like a horse or a whatever, yeah. a bike, right. in my case, or a car. But you get a million humans and you need a transit system. How should that transit system be designed? What are the priorities and the values guiding how we make it? What neighborhoods will it serve? What neighborhoods will it not serve? But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't, he's not like, oh, or, and well, I guess, well. well hmm. uh, what he's talking about is, how to create a, a small community that shapes people's character and their their values, right? Their mm-hmm. moral values, their priorities, their view of what's good and bad. And if one of those people happens to be a mayor, the Sermon on the Mount will shape mm-hmm. every decision that mm-hmm. mayor makes yeah. about how to help design the transit system, <laughs> right? So I, I guess it's about scale. But yeah. Jesus, Jesus wasn't talking to mayors. He was talking to a bunch of poor people up in Galilee t- about these little communities. Mm-hmm. But the moral, ethical worldview underneath it, the moral compass, clearly can transcend first century Galilee and speak to people all over the world because these teachings have been doing that for you know 2,000 years. So I appreciate your questions and this imaginative exercise. Well, and so also I think should be said, I think there's a point here which is, Jesus, his focus isn't on Jerusalem. Mm. Mm. It would make sense if Jesus like, and he does go to Jerusalem. Mm. So he does have a focus on Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. That's what we'll talk about 
in the next conversation. Okay, we'll talk about that next. Yeah. But here, when like he is talking, when he starts talking about God's kingdom coming and starting, yeah, it's like outside of Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and it's n- in no way mm-hmm. the the glory of any city. It's just a ragtag group of people. Yeah, that's right. It's the surprise, the surprise blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of the skies belongs to them. It's right here. It's happening right here. Because it's going to become clear to Jesus that current day Jerusalem is ruled by a bunch of thugs. Hmm. And the real new Jerusalem is happening right here, Hmm. up in the hills. Wherever Jesus is, you've got the city on a hill shining its light to the nations. Hmm. Okay. So that's, I think, the claim that the gospel authors and Jesus make. We're going to see what Jesus goes on to do with that claim as narrated in the gospels in the next conversation. But I think this is just, I love your questions. These are all the questions that get raised and they're good to just stop and meditate on, I think, before we watch Jesus go to Jerusalem and throw down, (laughs) (laughs) which becomes another tale of two cities, Hmm. the city that is Jesus versus the city that was Jerusalem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bible Project Podcast. Next week, we're going to hit pause. And before we progress farther into the New Testament, we're going to review the themes and ideas we've explored so far and try to tie them all together. Today's episode is brought to you by our podcast team, producer Cooper Peltz, associate producer Lindsay Ponder, lead editor Dan Gummel, editors Tyler Bailey and Frank Garza. Tyler Bailey also mixed this episode and Hannah Wu provided the annotations for our annotated podcast on our app. Bible Project is a crowdfunded nonprofit and we exist to experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. Everything that we make is free because of the generous support of thousands of people just like you. Thank you so much for being a part of this with us. Hi, this is Jason Bosto. I'm from Tampa, Florida. I'm 41 years old. I first heard about the Bible Project while listening to Exploring My Strange Bible. I use the Bible Project to explore and understand the Bible and also share incredible content to help other people find Jesus. My favorite thing about the Bible Project are definitely the podcasts. We believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. We're a crowdfunded project by people like me. Find free videos, study notes, podcasts, classes, and more at BibleProject.com.